Well, good morning, uh, pod girls, pod boys, pod people. Welcome back to the Primary Care Podcast. It is your boy, Dr. Mark List. Today, we have a very great episode today for you. I think you're going to be really happy with it. But before we do, we're going to hit up the primarycarepod at gmail.com inbox uh, for a joke today. Uh, now, that's not just a place for jokes. That's also a place that you can send your feedback. I've gotten some really great messages recently from uh, people who have been listening, and that, and that really warms my heart and makes it all worth it. Um, and, and so you can send your feedback. You can send any requests for uh, topics. You can uh, uh, link me any good articles that you think I should read. Um, there's still one that I do want to get to at some point. Uh, I promise I have. Uh, I, I haven't forgotten about it, but every time that I go to, to do that one for a podcast topic, there's a great article. Like today, just from this week, uh, this article came to mind uh, or came into my attention. So um, I, 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 I'll get to him. I'll get to him, I promise. Now, before we get into today, we're going to take a joke from the primarycarepod at gmail.com inbox. And this joke comes from an anonymous listener. Uh, Dr. List, Dr. List, I have a great medical joke for you. Okay, I'm listening. A patient runs into a doctor's office, opens the door, runs into the doctor's office and yells, I, Doctor, I'm shrinking, I'm shrinking, what should I do? The doctor replies, well, first, you're just going to have to be a little patient. All right, let's start the podcast. The Primary Care Podcast is written and edited by a family physician for an audience of other physicians, nurse practitioners, physicians, assistants, residents, and medical students interested in primary care topics. This is not a podcast for patients and should not be used as medical advice. This is also a personal podcast produced on my own time and solely reflecting my personal opinions. Statements of this podcast do not reflect the views or policies of my employer, past or present, or any other organization with which I may be affiliated. Thank you for listening to the Primary Care Podcast. I'm Dr. Mark List, here to bring you the latest news, guidelines, and updates from primary care sources around the globe. Keeping it under 15 minutes long because you're in a hurry and I'm not that smart. Well, welcome back, everybody, to the Primary Care Podcast. It is your favorite podcasting host on the internet, uh, your favorite doctor, your best friend, your earbud companion, Dr. Mark List. Uh, today, we're going to hit up another episode, um, and I, it's a very, very important topic. Not that all of the topics I, I pick are not important, but this one is really, really important because they were talking about specifically antibiotic stewardship, not just like, hey, don't prescribe antibiotics, which is in general, you should probably never prescribe antibiotics. I'm just kidding. They're good. But I mean, and seriously, we overprescribe. Um, we today are talking about the American College of Physicians just came out literally yesterday as we are talking about this. Uh, today is the 6th of April. Uh, literally produced this yesterday from the Annals of Internal Medicine. The American College of Physicians put out a paper stating the appropriate use of short course antibiotics in common infection best practice advice from the American College of Physicians. Now, uh, those of you who have listened to the podcast before know my stance on antibiotics. Less is more. Um, you've heard me talk about uh, there's even short courses of uh, streptococcal uh, treatments for strep throat for a shorter course of antibiotics. Uh, we've talked about this in, in previous episodes. Again, historically, this this idea that, oh, gosh, for sinus infections, you need to do 10 days. Uh, for an ammonia, you have to do 10 days because we have to make sure that not only do we prevent treatment failure, but that way uh, we don't, we kill it all off so that resistant bugs don't uh, grow, basically. This was this old moniker that, like, you know, if you stop the treatment too early, if patient feels better and they stop too early, oh, it's just going to come right back and there's going to be treatment failure. Or, oh, they're not going to kill off all the bacteria and the ones that survive are going to be resistant. I mean, historically, that's kind of the, the thought process, but that's never really panned out in the research. Um, there is uh, there is that, that element of treatment failure that is real, um, but you really have to have a pretty short course of antibiotics to see that dramatic rise of treatment failure. And so in this article, they talk about four specific times where you should consider shorter courses of antibiotics based on evidence-based 
results in the literature. And those of you who have listened to the podcast before know that I love the American College of Physicians. I think that they do a very good job of practicing or recommending evidence-based treatments. Them and USPFTF, I think, are really, really, really good at recommending that that things that are evidence-based, and they do a really good job of making sure it's evidence-based before they promote it. Um, So whenever they come out with ACP, whenever they come out with a topic, I tend to listen. Uh, Versus uh, ACOG, which doesn't practice evidence-based medicine, uh, fight me, OBGYNs, fight me. Uh, Okay, okay. So um, number one, why is this important, right? Uh, In the article, it goes out, primary care physicians prescribe antibiotics in 10% of all outpatient visits. Ouch, the sound that you just heard there was the sound of my heart breaking that 10% of outpatient visits get antibiotics in primary care clinics. Oof, da, oof. Hold on, I'm going to need, I'm going to throw up here for a second. Just give me a second to throw up and I'll be right back. Okay, um, in, in 2014, outpatients received more than 250 million courses of antibiotics in the United States and at least 30% were considered unnecessary. Why? Because we prescribe them for viral infections because we're terrible, terrible, terrible medical providers. Um, And often these antibiotics are continued for too long, particularly for bronchitis. Uh, I would argue you never need to treat bronchitis. And sinusitis, I would argue that only 15% cases of sinusitis need to be treated. Antimicrobial overuse, particularly with broad-spectrum antibiotics, drives up resistance and causes adverse events in up to 20% of patients rising from allergic reactions to C. diff infections. I always throw out the stat with patients when I talk to them about the pros and cons of antibiotics for sinus infections, that it takes your number needed to treat for a sinus infection is 1 in 16, okay? So the other 15 people don't benefit from their antibiotics, and if you gave them a pill full of dirt, they would do just as well as, uh, you know, with the antibiotic. And you need a number needed to harm of eight because of the risks of diarrhea, the risks of nausea, the risk of allergic reaction, the risk of C. diff, all those combined to a a number needed to harm of about eight versus one in 16 benefit. It's just hard for people that get routine sinus infections to believe that. Okay. So um, what are the four topics? The one topic that's not on there, which I think is really important is number one, uh, sinus infections do not need to go for 10 days, seven days. That's not part of this because that guideline has been made a long time ago. Um, and th- this was, you know, people still do not read the guidelines, but seven days for antibiotics. Okay. Uh, for sinus infections that are actually true bacterial. If they are, my God, if they are viral, do not. Okay. Um, and again, most sinus infections, you can probably get away with not doing a course of antibiotics for at least two weeks before anything gets bad happens. Okay. So uh, that was not part of the, the guideline. I need to shut up and actually read the guideline. Okay. So Best practice advice number one, clinicians should limit antibiotic treatment duration to five days when managing patients with COPD exacerbations. Now, this is important, right? Uh, They talk about have clinical signs of bacterial infections. So presence of increased sputum purulence uh, in addition to increased dyspnea and or increased sputum volume. So any of those three, okay? Uh, So you need increased sputum purulence, so thicker, Flemmier, change in color, change in uh, that thickness uh, is important because people with COPD oftentimes have uh, phlegmy coughs at baseline, but an increase in that phlegminess, and yes, I just made that word up, and then a combination of either uh, increased volume of the sputum or increased dyspnea. 
five days. Now that works great if you use azithromycin. Um, if you're in a place like me that has low azithromycin resistance to certain um, respiratory bugs, azithromycin not only has the benefit, it's a pliomorphic effect of not only having uh, good antimicrobial properties uh, for these respiratory bugs, but also has anti-inflammatory properties as well. Um, and so that's a, a pretty good place to start. Number two is that you can also use things like doxycycline, but again, five days for treatment of COPD. Um, so that's where we start. Number two, clinicians should prescribe antibiotics for community-acquired pneumonia for a minimum of five days. Extension of therapy after five days should be guided by validated measures of clinical stability, which include vital sign abnormalities, ability to eat, and normal mentation. So if patients are doing better, you can even stop antibiotics at five days for community-acquired pneumonia. Fantastic, but you need to do at least five days for treatment. And based on the guideline, again, it's more checking in with the patient, making sure that they are doing better clinically. Okay, so the third treatment advice is in uncomplicated UTIs, uncomplicated cystitis, clinicians, clinicians should prescribe short courses of antibiotics. So again, I've seen way too many people be on seven days of these antibiotics. We're talking short courses for UTIs. So for uncomplicated UTIs without any signs of pyelonephritis or anything like that, five days of macrobid, aka nitrofurantoin. So for five days, and three days of Bactrim, aka trimethoprim sulfamethoxazole. Um, and are you, how, how impressed are you that I got that uh, name of that antibiotic right on the first try and I didn't even mess up at all? So three days for Bactrim, five days for Macrobid, and a single dose of phosphomycin. The only issue with that one is that oftentimes it's hard to find. Uh, a lot of pharmacies don't carry it, um, and it can be expensive. But I love single dose phosphomycin. Um, if you have complicated, uh, even with uncomplicated pylo, you can, clinicians can prescribe short course therapy with a fluoroquinolone for five to seven days or Bactrim for 14 days. Um, best practice number four, for non-purulent cellulitis, so without abscess, clinicians, clinicians should use a five to six day course of antibiotics effective against streptococci particularly for patients who can self-monitor and who have close follow-up at primary care. Now, this one, oofta. Now, this one, uh, we're going to talk about this um, because this is the hard one because I have seen many cases of cellulitis that do not improve after five to six days of antibiotics. Um, and, and, but this is important, particularly for patients able to self-monitor and who can have close follow-up with primary care. So this does not apply to many patients that we cannot trust or many patients who have multiple comorbidities such as massive leg independent edema, uh, venous stasis, and who have recurrent episodes of cellulitis that get worse, not better in the first couple of days on treatment. Now, for, you know, arm cellulitis or things that necessarily aren't, uh, I, I always think about classically because the majority of my cases of cellulitis that I see in my uh, basically internal medicine geriatric practice that I have is uh, are, are people with massive uh, lower extremity edema legs whose cellulitis is poorly controlled, who have terrible dependent edema, venous stasis ulcers, et cetera, who then develop non-purulent cellulitis. And those antibiotics, uh, those, those treatment courses are way longer than five to seven days because five to seven days you know, just barely starts to bring the cellulitis back from rip-roaring, awful, raging to uh, mild or, or moderate or slightly better controlled. But for your average patient who has basically any other uh, mild cellulitis, a five to six day course of antibiotics is really good to know because sometimes, again, you'll see courses given for 10 to 14 days of cellulitis when it's really nice to be able to give a five to six day course and then say, 
If you feel like it's not all the way improved, please call back. Please come back in. We need to see you. Now, for those of you who practice with uh, patients who aren't always the best with follow-up, whether it's their fault or not, or if you're in a really busy practice and you know that you can't get these patients back, or if they're not from a local area, or if they have social determinants of health issues that you know prevent them from coming back in, whether it be cost or uh, tra- transport or interpreters, um, who, who can't, who, who you know are going to have access issues, or that you know you cannot trust to come back, then a longer course is probably better, and just deal with it. But for your average, you know, normal, uh, quote unquote, normal uh, outpatient. Uh, who can you know self-monitor and who can call you and you trust uh, five to six days of cellulitis is a massive change in guidelines. Um, so again, these are four things that are absolutely practice changing. It, it you know for the evidence shows that these four specific courses do not lead to more treatment failure in a dramatic fashion. The less that you're on antibiotics, the the less likely that patients are going to have negative and adverse events, like such as C. diff. You're going to be less likely to grow resistant organisms because you're not using it as much. Um, and, and again, overall better for not only patients, but also the community at large. So again, hopefully this is practice changing. Oh, and by the way, there's one more article I wanted to drop into you today. This is a free, this is just free bonus knowledge. Uh, March 8th, um, a safer trial, S-A-F-E-R, was done. This was uh, produced in JAMA on March 8th, uh, JAMA Pediatrics. And the question is, uh, is short-course antibiotic therapy, a.k.a. five days of high-dose amoxicillin, inferior to the standard care, which standard of care right now is 10 days of high-dose amoxicillin for, patient, for, for pediatric community-acquired pneumonia? So uh, in this study, they had a five-year study, basically, and they checked all these kids who had community-acquired pneumonia, the median age was 2.6, so these were young, young kids. And obviously, this is a really common thing to find pneumonia in little kids. And high-dose amoxicillin for five days was equivalent to 10 days of high-dose amoxicillin. So again, not less is sometimes a lot more. These kids have a lot, uh, a lot uh, fewer side effects. Uh, you know, you can discuss, uh, you know, fewer exposures to antibiotics is always beneficial. We know antibiotics in kids is associated with all kinds of negative outcomes, including uh, risk of obesity, um, increasing prevalence of C. diff, uh, you know, diarrhea side effects uh, from antibiotics. And so overall, less is almost always more for kids when it comes to antibiotics. And here proves even with community-acquired pneumonia not requiring hospitalization, so outpatient pneumonia treatment, five days of high-dose amoxicillin equivalent to 10 days of high-dose amoxicillin. As a parent who hates giving their kids medicines and it's like torture and they like, oh, I don't want to take my medicine. Ah. I mean, taking five less days of antibiotics is fantastic. And to not have, uh, again, clinical cure rates were 88.6% in the treatment arm and 90.8% in the control group. Um, at 14 to 21 days, clinical cure was 85% to 84%. So again, uh, in, incredibly, that was uh, intention to treat analysis for patients that dropped out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so anyways, um, when we talk about overall take-home point is less is more. Um, obviously, this does not apply to all bact- anti- uh, ant- bacteria-related infections, but we, we talked about today four different things, five if you include the pediatric version of the community-acquired pneumonia, but they're adults. We've already talked about five days for adults. That was in that was in bullet point number three. So again, I think that we are on the on the precipice of, you know, changing, adapting medicine to make it less dangerous for patients at the same time, not having, you know, worse outcomes. So hopefully today was helpful. 
It was helpful for me. Again, um, I, I think less is more when it comes to antibiotics, uh, and especially if patients have good follow-up access to care, they can call you, they can portal message you, they can um, come back to clinic, they have access to urgent cares and ERs and uh, things like that. I think you're, you're going to be a lot better in the long run with less is more for an approach for antibiotics. This has been Dr. Mark List reminding you you don't need to stay up all night to you don't need to stay all you don't need to stay up all night to stay up to date. Uh, apparently, you do need uh, to actually get some sleep in order to talk well on your podcast. Um, but I will see you next week with another episode. Thanks and God bless.